Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Um, Mother's Day can be a difficult day, and so we honor moms from all situations and stations and all stages of life, and it's good to... uh, Good to celebrate one another uh, and to be in the house of the Lord together. Well, today we continue to, uh, to journey through uh, the season of Eastertide, these moments in the gospel where, where Jesus reminds us who he was and, and what it all means. Um, having a perspective of, of 2,000 years of history, we understand Jesus is, is no longer in the grave, and we celebrate that. That is the essence of the gospel that we preach Christ is no longer in the grave. And we say, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Um, And that's... That is a joy, and, and the reason that we, that we spend so much time, we, we spend this extended season remembering who Jesus was and what he said about uh, what would happen uh, in the world as he, as he came. Um, we, we started with the appearance to Thomas. We, we started with what it meant to become witnesses. We talked about Jesus' gate, Jesus' shepherd. Last week we talked about uh, the vine. Uh, and the branches. We're going to continue a little further into John 15 today. So if you have your Bibles or have devices that you like to to look at as we read Scripture, you can turn again to John 15. Uh, Our text this morning is immediately following the text that we had last week. Last week we we talked, read verses 1 through 8, and and Jesus was talking about vines and branches and fruit and this concept of remaining in Christ— what does it mean to remain in Christ, to, to abide in Christ, to stay so close and to stay so connected uh, to who Christ is? And, and as he, he, he begins to unpack for us here uh, what remaining in Christ does. And as he does so, he kind of transitions. He had been talking about metaphor. We talked about that, right? Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me. He transitions in this section of Scripture from metaphor to command. Uh, and so today we're going to open to John chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 9 and read through verse 17. For those who are willing and able, I invite you to stand uh, out of reverence for the reading of God's word. A reading from the gospel of John chapter 15, starting in verse 9. As the Father loved me, I too have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. 
This is my commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because everything I heard from my father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you could go and produce fruit and so that your fruit could last. As a result, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. I give these commandments so that you can love each other. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. Say thanks be to God. Please have a seat. So, a uh, little question time, maybe a little confession time here. How many, of you, how many of you have ever heard or perhaps used <laughs> these phrases? You can't make me. <laughs> I don't want to. You can't tell me what to do. Okay, so you, you've heard some of these before, and... That's good. I, I appreciate that. I've heard some of these before. I perhaps might have used a couple of these sometime in the past. Have you heard of the concept called a strong-willed child? Anybody? Anybody heard? There's been like con- there's been content written. There's probably a few blog posts out there. I've seen some books about the strong-willed child. I actually had a chance to meet. Um, uh, one of the authors that wrote some of the books about strong-willed children, Cynthia Ulrich Tobias, she wrote the book, You Can't Make Me, But I Can Be Persuaded. Strategies for Bringing Out the Best in Your Strong-Willed Child. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, strong-willed children are, are powerful forces to be dealt with uh, and, and often uh, have a, an internal drive and an internal energy that will propel them and lead them to do great things. They could be hard to parent. Uh, they could be hard to motivate. They could be hard to persuade because of who they are and how God made them and, and the beautiful creatures that they are. But they can exhaust parents at times too. I, I have this theory. I have this theory in my mind as I, as I prepared this week. Uh, and I think it's this. I, th- I think we all have a little bit of strong-willed child inside of us. I don't know that that's true, but I, th- I think that that's true. Maybe it's filtered. Maybe you've learned to restrain it a little bit. Maybe you've learned to manage it or, or suppress it or filter it in some way. But for me, it was, for me in, in my life, in my, the, way, the ways that my strong-willed child leaked out of me a little bit um, was telling me I, I probably couldn't figure something out. And I was like, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, you think so? You think I think I can't can't figure it out for me at that point it was like it it's on it's on like Donkey Kong right I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out you're not gonna tell me that that I'm not gonna be able to to understand this or to figure it out so uh, you know th- that's when you start taking things apart and I took things apart just fine it was you know the getting it back together that was that was tough but Jesus Jesus kind of heads there in this in this passage kind of speaks in, in, in a different tone, speaks in commandments here, about to trigger some of the strong-willed children uh, in the room. 
Uh, he was just talking about vines and branches and, and fruit and remaining and abiding, choosing to stay connected to the heart and to the essence of who Christ was. Why do we stay connected to the vine? Because we need that nutrients. We need that water, that life-giving water. Remember at the well when the, when the lady said she needed water and Jesus says, if you drink the water that I provide, you'll never be thirsty again. The water won't dry up because we remain connected to that vine. Being connected to the vine means vibrancy, means growth, means nutrition for our journey. It means being, having this journey shared with others. The vine's connected to the other branches. We talked a little bit about that last week. It means producing fruit in our lives. And during this whole lesson, as Jesus has been talking, it's about mutuality, about us remaining in Christ, and Christ will remain in us. And there's this sense of being together in that journey uh, and, and in that process of being connected. But verse 9 brings a change of tone. There, there's definitely a change of tone. Some writers keep these two passages together when they try to explain uh, verses 1 through 8 and 9 through 17. They keep them kind of lumped together. Uh, others say, well, they, they separate them and, uh, completely. They say, you know, they don't really have much to do with each other. I'm not sure. Uh, so, some link 9 through 17 saying, well, this part kind of actually explains the first eight verses. I'm not sure what's, what's right, uh, but clearly the, the, the tone of this passage changes for us in verse 9. In verse 9 through 17, the word command or commandment is used five, or five times in those nine verses as we read in the Common English Bible. Five times. Um, and all the strong-willed children in the room kind of go, the ears perk up. and like, what, wait, wait just a second. What am, I, what am I being commanded to do? Don't tell me what to do. Do you ever have this reaction? Do you ever sense this reaction in your spirit? Kids, don't look at your mom right now. It's Mother's Day. Um, I know I do. I, I turn it in by this date, and I'm like, well, what if I'm a day late? What if, was that like midnight of that day? Or, I mean, you're not going to be up till 6 a.m. anyway. Stay on the grass. Well, what if my foot's half on the grass and half on the pavement? Was, was, is that Okay. To be honest, I can do it with God when I read his instructions. I look to the word. Sometimes it's really hard. Turn the other cheek. But God, come on. Go and ask for forgiveness. Try to reconcile, God says. There's no point. It will just mean more pain more trauma. Sometimes the things God asks us to do are very difficult, very hard. And sometimes I say, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. Honestly, as I studied, I was struck by this word this week, command, commandment, okay? Commands are something that sound a little bit more like Old Testament stuff. Like, isn't this word in the wrong half of the Bible, right? We know about the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, somebody took a lot of time and, and counted up the commandments of, of the Old Testament law. 613 
is what they came up with. There's the Ten Commandments, but apparently there's 603 other instructions for the people of Israel that we find in our Old Testament scriptures. But here, without question, the evangelist who wrote the book of John is reporting the commands of Jesus. The Greek word that he uses here is entole. I had to look that up because I don't know Greek, um, but that's what they said. Entole, to charge, to commission, a commandment from either God or man. In this case, it was Jesus. It was both. (laughs) A charge or a commandment from God or man. I was looking up this word. I was struck by this comment. It says this, Entole stresses the authority of what is commanded while entalma points directly to its content. Entole stresses the authority of what is commanded. There's an authority here that Jesus wishes to communicate. It's, It's not a suggestion. It's not strongly recommended. It's not just a good idea that Jesus says, hey, let's do this. And it's not just merely pointing at the, at the content of the suggestions. Surely the, the content of the commandment is important. And yet here, the word itself amplifies this authority that is already present in the command itself. Not to mention it's coming from Jesus' lips, right? If you have a red letter Bible, this is, this is written in red. This is pretty important, right? Not that the other stuff is unimportant. And what is that command? What is, what is Jesus' command? He says, uh, go, go do the right thing. No, he doesn't say that. He says, be nice, be kind, be patient. No, he doesn't say that. He says, be compassionate, don't sin, give money to the church, support the mission of the church. No, he doesn't say that. doesn't say any of these things. Jesus says, love. Love is the command. The command that has in its own essence this sense of authority. This is what we are to do as the people of God. To love. It's all over this passage. I, I took time, and maybe you can take time and, and catch some of the ones that I missed. But I look at the ways love is used in this passage, if you would. Father loves Jesus. Jesus loves the disciples. It says the essence of remaining, the essence of abiding is love. And that's the first verse. (laughs) Okay? Second verse, evidence of us keeping commandments is love. Evidence of Jesus keeping the commands of the Father is love. The command we're supposed to follow is love. The disciples are to love other disciples. He talks about that in John 13. He says the world will know us by our love for one another. It's the example of the relationship set by Jesus. It's the epitome of sacrifice and care. Love's a pretty big deal, I think, in John chapter 15. What is love? Love is a tough word in English, right? (laughs) Love is a tough word in English. We say we love Jesus... We say we love our families, especially our moms today. We also love baseball. We also love pizza. And it's all the same word. This is not right. This is not good. What is love? I have a friend who who defines love this way. He says, uh, to act intentionally in sympathetic or empathetic response to others to promote overall well-being. I'll read that again. 
I have a friend, um, Dr. Ord, who defines love as this way. He says, to act intentionally in sympathetic, empathetic response to others to promote overall well-being. It's a real technical, technical definition for the word love, right? We think love, love is this, this response that we have to one another. But Ord focuses in on, on this is an intentional thing that we do. That I'm going to act on behalf of the other person. And, and actually, the truest form of love also takes into account my own well-being. That, that a love is a, is a fully orbed response, promoting the overall well-being of all, to want what's best for all, for the most people possible. And not, not just want it, but to act on it. This is what it looks like. This is our command. Go do love in our world and in the places that we find ourselves. There's, there's kind of a risk in this command and in the way that John presents it today. It, it kind of leads us towards, or it can lead us toward a works-based understanding of our relationship with, with God. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 kind of is the cause. It says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Almost like, okay, I've got to figure out what God's commanding me to do, and then I go and do it, and then I can be God's friend. Then I can have right relationship with God. The command is love. And Carson really clears it up for me. I, I read one of our, my, the commentators that I was studying this week says this, that the obedience is not what makes them friends. It's what characterizes Jesus' friends. That we don't earn it by loving others. We don't earn relationship with God by being loving people. And yet that's what characterizes the people of God. We should be the most loving people in the planet. And in this town and in this community, there's the church again. Showing up loving people. Man, why do they got to do that all the time? Because that's what characterizes Jesus' people. We show up. And we're the ones who've been touched by Christ in such a way that we can't get it out of us fast enough. We're going to be the ones to intentionally act, to intentionally step forward and say, how can I serve you? How can I promote the well-being of of?" of you and me together, of our town, of our neighborhood, of our community, and of our world. When we see this, this evolution of relationship between Jesus and his, his followers, Jesus moves disciples from servants to friends. Did you catch that in the middle of there? It's, it's not, not a surprise. This isn't a gift that, that Jesus gives that says, oh, now, now, now you get to be friends. He does it by sharing his mission, by knowing the business. It says the servant doesn't know the master's business. But you are no longer servants. But you are friends. Because he says, I'm going to invite you into the work that I'm doing in the world. I'm going to invite you to show up in the places where I'm making a difference. And by doing that, he transforms us from servants into friends. What's the business that 
God is involved in. What is our business, church, to enact God's love wherever we go for as many as we can? To put it into practice, to act intentionally and say, I'm not going to stand by. I'm not going to let this one go. I'm going to act in this place. This is our cause. This is our mission. This is our top priority. John calls this our command. For these are our orders. I'm going to invite the praise team to come on up. Um, I, I haven't lived in Mountain Home a long time. About a year and a half now, I think, if I'm, if I'm counting correctly. Um, and I've learned something. You probably knew this. I, I knew this certainly when I came. Did you know this is a military town? We're, we're connected in, in ways that, that I'm learning and I'm still, I'm still trying to catch on to. I've learned quite a few acronyms. I've got a bunch more to go, but I've learned a few of them. Um, and I'm not really familiar with military life. I'm trying to become more familiar. But what I do know is the orders mean something. I can worry about a lot of things, uh, but, but this is the command of Jesus for us today. As pastor, I can worry about uh, <laughs> financial resources. I can worry about people attending. I can worry about kids and youth ministry and activities that we have going on and classes that's being taught and, and having right theology for our people. John 15 reminds me of this. This is my command. This is my orders that we love each other, that we are the most loving people on the planet. May that be our charge. May that be our goal. May we understand that clearly today from John 15. This is our command. These are our orders to love one another. Amen? Receive this benediction uh, this morning. Lord, be for us our example and our source. For at times, our love certainly can wane and can run dry. Help us, for we wish to follow this command of yours, to love all people by your grace. Amen. Go in the love of Christ. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.